0: Amazing. I tried tie-dyeing in early lockdown and it did not come out looking like that. Love that. Girl talk forever.
1: You know, once a chief finance officer, always a chief finance officer. Yeah, I mean, that thing of not knowing how to parent a genius, I know know my mum struggled with that. My brother's very clever.
0: That was a little Leslie-style joke there. It was. That was a real
2: Higgins joke.
1: (laughs) It's so much funnier when you do it.
2: It really (laughs) is.
1: This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, Ted Lasso, Season 3, Episode 9, La Locker Room O'Fall, and Episode 10, International Break. My name is Adam Henning, and hitting the back of the net like Sam Ovisania with one-liners, it's Izzy Dixon.
2: Stairway to Heaven is a glorified fingering exercise, and you all know it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And putting up a defensive wall to any nonsense, just like Isaac McAdoo, it's Grace Chapman.
0: Why hello Adam Humming and Isabel Dixon. I changed the E's to use.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good indeed. Um, Two episodes here and you you might call it a game of two halves. Big, big storyline in episode nine but episode 10 felt a little bit more like the beginning of the end.
2: Yeah it totally did. They're really, it feels like they're really putting the chess pieces in place for the end game doesn't it?
0: Yeah definitely and it was nice to have Rebecca back being Rebecca in episode 10. That made me happy. Very, very happy. I have to say, I I've, I've, obviously, I haven't been on these podcasts as much, but I've been listening to all of your brilliant insights. What I've loved a lot about this series is the kind of themed episodes. So, obviously, you know, Colin coming out and then, you know, Sam Obisanya and the racist attack on the restaurant. It's just that's been a really nice, I don't think they did that in previous episodes in the same, in previous series in the same way.
2: Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to go back and look for sure, but I mean series 1 I think was only 10 episodes, and obviously there's a lot of plot to cover. And then season 2, I think is a slightly weird one because I think it was meant to be 10 episodes and they extended it to 12, and you can really tell which the two episodes they like slotted in are, which obviously are <laughs> uh, bids Crazy Night Out and the Christmas episode, which, just <laughs> if I say it, I actually find a little bit too saccharine. Mm. even as a fan of ted lasso but I, i agree with you i think it's it's been doing that really really well setting up a kind of cool theme and then running with that through the episode i know you mentioned that rebecca is back being rebecca in last night's episode grace i would argue episode nine actually we get a lot of rebecca being rebecca and we actually get an iconic line where roy doesn't turn up to the press conference and rebecca sues him out and she has the great line i'm sick of roy being roy so it's time for rebecca to be rebecca And I feel like Rebecca really has been Rebecca in these last two episodes. And I'm thrilled about it.
0: Yeah, we've missed her.
1: Definitely. And she's helping Roy to become Roy again, to be a better Roy than he was before.
0: Tie-dye Roy.
1: Tie-dye Roy. Yeah. Right, we'll try and start with episode nine. I mean, we'll obviously cross over with some of the storylines. I think, you know, people like Nate go over both episodes, but... Let's try and start with episode nine. I did wonder at the start if this was going to be a musical episode because we had the musical number and this very smiley, happy football montage going on as the total footballers taken over and Richmond are on a, on a winning streak.
0: Yeah, not to jump right to the end, but then they ha- is there a Shirley Bassey cover at the end? So there's a really nice sort of sense of show tunes bookending this episode that I really liked.
2: Yeah, and actually that song at the end, I Am What I Am, is, is also kind of a queer anthem. You hear it a lot at drag shows and, and things like that. So I, I loved the use of that at the end. I thought it was great. Really nice homage.
1: Seeing as we've started with Roy and Rebecca, should we cover that that storyline first then and then build up to the, to the obviously the, the bigger story in this episode? Roy's enjoying training and the new tactics. Coach Beard says he hasn't seen 22 dudes have this much fun on grass since he saw the Grateful Dead jamming with the black crows and fish.
2: I have so much time for the writing of Coach Beard this season. I mean he's Coach Beard is just a great character and I think kind of always underrated and people sort of list their favorite characters of Ted Lasso, but the writing this season so great.
0: Yeah, 100%. Also I love that I really just don't know what he was talking about then but I did still find it funny.
1: Yeah, this happens quite a lot for me. There's definitely references that I don't get in Ted Lasso. I wrote some of them down, but in a way, it doesn't matter that you don't get those because you get the sense of what they're saying anyway.
2: Yeah, we don't need to know the past details of Beard's life to know that Beard had (laughs) a past life.
1: (laughs) But yes, the the basic setup is that Ted can't do this press conference because he's got a parent-teacher's consultation, very important things. Obviously, so somehow they land on Roy doing the press conference. Is, is this a Keeley suggestion? Maybe
2: it is a Keeley suggestion, um, which I think is quite nice. I think you know Keely's someone who's always from season one seen the potential in Roy and has never really sort of let him get down on himself. And I think it's sort of heavily implied that he walked away from the relationship probably because he wasn't feeling great about himself. But I really like the fact that that belief in him is still there even when he fucks it up royally as he does do at the start of this episode
1: royally roy backs out of doing it and we get beard doing a press conference (laughs) Um, getting angry about joe walsh and jimmy page calling the press fucking neanderthals and giving that wonderful line that you gave at the top is he
2: it's great and uh there's there's one journalist says something like jimmy page could beat joe turner on like one solo and he's like beat him at what it's fucking art man not a competition just the the kind of rage of that scene is so funny and even funnier that Rebecca tries to take over the press conference and
0: yeah, we all know what happens there. I just love any time that a show that is technically about football, any opportunity to really talk about football <laughs> just doesn't happen.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so then then we get the Rebecca and Roy confrontation, right? And she, she says, are you just going to walk away from everything? Get out of your own way, man. Woe is me, is just fucking ponderous.
2: Oh, so good. That line, the delivery. Hannah Waddingham, we don't deserve her. We've seen this in
0: Eurovision. It was so good. And I think like when she was saying it, I was like, finally, someone is telling Roy to basically like sort his shit out. And we love Roy a lot for the character that he is. But also it, she's right. He's just stood in his own way. And I just, for someone to finally stand up to him and tell him and for it to be Rebecca was so great. I loved it.
2: Yeah, it's really good. I love the evolution of Roy of these two episodes and the the slow putting together of the pieces where he starts taking responsibility for the things he's fucked up, which happens over the course of two episodes, which I really like. They really give that some growth. But what I really like about the Roy Rebecca relationship is that I think their dynamic is great, and I I mean everyone loves that scene at the top of season two where he meets her dates who she's sort of maybe a bit met about and does the amazing speech about, yeah, he's fine, but what are you doing with someone who's fine? You deserve to feel like you've been struck by fucking lightning, which just going to throw it out there is part of the prophecy for Rebecca this season, mentions lightning. But I I love their kind of no holds barred, no shit talking dynamic with each other. I think they've built up really beautifully over the last couple of seasons. And yeah, this felt really believable and really great. And it. Totally word that it's Rebecca telling him off.
1: Yeah, I was trying to think when we'd when we'd last seen Rebecca and Roy just in a one-on-one conversation. And and that's such a brilliant reminder of, of that earlier scene, is you thank you. In order to cover Roy a bit more in this, we probably need to talk about the Isaac and Colin storyline. And then we can come back to Rebecca and Roy. But basically after the events of episode eight, Isaac is blanking Colin, refuses a beer. He's just generally being a, a dick about everything. And it's affecting his football. He's not playing particularly well either. And we get Colin going to Trent for some advice as well.
0: Yeah, the trent Colin relationship is one of my new absolute favourite shows in Ted Lasso. It's so lovely. It's just great. I'm here for all of it. The Isaac and Colin's stuff is interesting because... Even though Isaac was like blanking him, you know, they wouldn't put their hands on top of each other in the huddle before the match, that sort of thing. I just sort of always knew that it was going to be okay because it's Ted Lasso. So even though I was like, oh, it's a shame he's behaving like this. I never felt like the stakes were ever that high because I know the show and I know that it's going to all be okay, And these men are going to talk and they're going to hug and everything's going to be fine.
2: I agree. I think what it was trying to maybe red herring the audience into thinking is that Isaac was really homophobic and that him cutting Colin out was about his own prejudices. Yeah, I agree. I love that conversation with Trent where he says, You've known you you've known your gay for 20 years. He's known for, you know, two days, give him a minute. And I during the episode was saying to my housemate when we were watching, I bet it's not homophobia. I bet he's really upset that he hasn't told him. I love the fact that was the reveal that she was about,
0: why can you trust me? Why can you Tell me this.
1: It's because he's shit at keeping secrets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was it. I haven't told anyone for 20 years, and I tell you, and it's out in a month. <laughs> I just want to give, now that you've mentioned that scene, uh, Izzy, with Trent, just give a little shout out to Colin's amazing line. What was it after I came out of my mum, I never looked back?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I've known a lot longer than 20 years after I came out of my mum and never looked back. Yeah. Great line. Trent is looking slightly too much
0: information, Colin.
1: so the the big event uh, and this is reminiscent of obviously the Eric Cantona jumping into the crowd moment is that they're losing to Brighton it was Colin's fault that they conceded the goal really he had a poor back pass so Isaac has a go at him and then the fans start having a go and Isaac reacts to being called a faggot he gets the red card and then in the dressing room afterwards I mean the moment in the dressing room afterwards where it's just silence was, was absolutely perfect it was really really lovely but they are there is conjecture that Isaac is gay. That's what they're they're talking about in the in the dressing room. And Damien and I talked about this on previous podcasts, that there were perhaps little hints that maybe that was where the storyline was going to go. So there's almost a, a double red herring going on throughout the season.
2: Yeah, because I, I know we did talk about that on previous podcasts and I was always a bit unsure about that. I always kind of thought it was going to be about the friendship with Colin and him, him feeling hurt and frozen out, which it was. But I really liked that red herring and actually Colin getting to see that the rest of the guys didn't particularly care, I think really made him a bit braver and kind of facilitated that that coming out that does then happen.
0: He sort of had to come out in a way to like stop them thinking it was Isaac, right? So even though he did want to he clearly you know he did do it he did want to he did it almost to kind of protect his friend from things that aren't true and that was very sweet I thought I yeah like you Adam I thought the silence beforehand was really great just to build up that tension and then just a little shout out to everyone thinking it was you know because they were talking about statistics and you know one of one of us in this room maybe more than one is going to be gay and then everyone turning to Jamie just being like I'm flattered. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was superb. They talk about when they first come into the dressing room, they talk about the uh, what you know what happened, what made him go like that. And someone said, oh, it was the F word. Now, like, well, we hear that all the time. Like, no, 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 the other F word. And then Higgins tries to make a joke about it being his dad. Who You know, I'm sorry about my dad, which was similar with the, the whole tweet thing a few episodes ago. But it was just like, yeah, read the room, Leslie.
0: That's what Ted Lasso is so good at. It's like, even in these moments of high tension, which never feel like really, really high in Ted Lasso. They're, They're always manageable tension. They just drop in these tiny little jokes along the way that just keep you calm. And it's just masterful, I think, the way that they use comedy within it. It's just so, so clever. Leslie for life. I love, I
2: mean, another shout out to one of my favourite Leslie moments this week is uh, after Rebecca tries to tackle the press conference on her own and we just cut straight to her walking out looking embarrassed and he's just giggling giggling to himself because she's been asked who her favourite classic rock guitarist is and we don't see her answer, but Leslie is just giggling that she said the guy from Cream.
0: (laughs) I mean, I've got, I think honestly, like, we talk about Tedisms, but Leslieisms need a little subcategory. I think he is amazing. And now I don't have the actor's name to hand, but.
1: Adam from the future here, just popping in with a quick credit where credit is due. The actor who plays Higgins is, of course, the great Jeremy Swift.
0: For me, it's the physical comedy of him dropping a teacup. <laughs> I'll get over it. When he did it once and then he did it again, I was, I had to watch it a few times. It was, you know, he reminds me of, he reminds me of Jerry in Parks and Rec in the way that he is within the story, but also his physical comedy is so yeah. good. He's like, a. It's, it's, sometimes it's like clowning. He's so good. I, I totally, I'd never seen
2: that comparison, but I
0: totally agree.
2: He's only, he's
1: not had that much, has he? And he is kind of like one of these peripheral figures he has been throughout. He's not sort of one of the main players, I don't think, in terms of storylines and plots. But the fact that he's in there every single episode and usually has one or two little gems within each one is is great. My other favourite moment in that dressing room scene was when they're, they're talking about the abuse, and, and Jamie Tart just said, uh, "It's just poopy."
0: Oh, anytime Jamie says poopy, can't <laughs> handle it. His Mancunian accent is unbelievable. It's so good, Pooh
2: <laughs> I mean, I could watch and watch Jamie Tart this season. He's become one of my absolute favourite characters, which I never thought I'd say in season one, but there we are. That's growth.
1: We don't get much Ted across the two episodes, really, but he tells this story of, after Colin has come out and told them. He's like, so we call, and they someone says, big whoop. He tells this story about a friend of his who supported a different team, supported the Denver Broncos, and uh, he had to watch the finals all by himself, and he ate loads of snacks whilst he was doing that and all the rest of it and ted should have supported him and it's a really really beautifully told story but then he's completely undercut by someone saying coach did you just compare being gay to being a denver broncos fan
2: (laughs) i loved this i think there's a really nice mirroring of leslie trying to make the joke about his dad and then ted telling this very well-meaning but slightly offensive story Where he's really trying to make, you know, he's really with the best of intentions, trying to make a kind point. But it's like, just no, just don't do that. And I do enjoy when he gets called out on it. He immediately goes, yep, yes, I did. And I'm regretting that
0: now. Coach Beard just like silently shaking his head.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But the point of the story, which I love, is that he says, it's not that we don't care. We do care. We do care if you've ever felt alone or, you know, discriminated against and that you couldn't be yourself. And I thought that was really beautiful. It's very I think it's very easy for the message of these storylines and shows to be like, well, we, we don't care. It makes no difference. And actually, you know, that does erase the reality of queer people having to face so much discrimination every day. And of course, being someone's friend when they're going through that is, is caring that they're having a different experience to you. So while a clumsy anecdote, I think a really beautiful sentiment from Ted.
1: And I think, you know, this This is such a big thing in the show because the show mirrors reality in so many different ways and football is an incredibly homophobic sport. There are no out footballers in the top leagues of I think most countries in the world and, you know, getting abuse from fans is part and parcel of being a professional footballer and, you know, it's something that I think is better than it perhaps used to be but I don't go to a lot of football matches so I can't say that with any conviction.
2: And I think also really important to remember this series has come out on the heels of the World Cup um, at the end of last year, which is in Qatar, which is an incredibly dangerous place for queer people. And that has obviously faced a lot of criticism in the media as well. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this storyline and the way it's being unpacked.
0: Yeah, agree. 100% agree. My other favourite thing about this scene was the first appearance, and thank God not the last, of uh, Trent's Dolly Parton T-shirt. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise be. It was so great.
1: Should we talk about Roy and Isaac, their little tete-a-tete? Because Isaac's gone off on his own in a foul mood and Roy comes along, says he's not there to yell at him, but asks him what he's really angry about um, and tells him to go and deal with that. And then we get this lovely line from Will, who's been (laughs) here in the side. He says, little things we get mad about are like little snowflakes on a mountain. If we wait too long, we're one sneeze away from an avalanche that will kill us all.
0: I love how it develops that, like, starts quite sweet and then kill us all. I really liked how he was cleaning a pink football boot during that. I thought that was a really nice touch.
2: I think Wills has some great moments this season. And they've taken what could have just been a slightly replacement Nate character or a background character and actually given him a bit of an identity. But, you know, I loved, loved the story with him and Higgins in Amsterdam. I thought that was great. And, yeah, just some really glorious comedy moments in both these episodes, actually. But I, I really enjoyed this bit. And it's all sort bit. Of, undercutting what was a really poignant scene I think the other thing I loved about this scene and also I think more generally the kind of coaching we've seen from Nate over at West Ham and Roy here at Richmond is that they've really shown us in a really great way that there's not one right way to be a coach and for Nate he's an incredible strategist and you know so intelligent and so brilliant but Roy is incredible with people And actually, Roy giving advice to Isaac is the sort of catalyst for everything getting fixed at the end. And then he obviously does that incredible press conference that she'll come on to.
0: I mean, you know, when Ted offers to go and speak to Isaac, Roy's like, if this is about anger, I should probably go speak to him.
1: Yeah, it's lovely. And then so Colin then had, for me anyway, another big revelation. As he's walking out with Trent, They're talking about how it could have gone, he says, it's the second best way it could have gone. The best thing would have been if the entire team had said they were gay, too and they got to be on the cover of Oprah's magazine. I had no idea Oprah had a magazine.
0: Oprah's got everything, Adam, everything. (laughs) You name it, Oprah's got it.
1: There is a really nice moment with Trent at the end of that where he just kind of looks back at the dressing room and there's kind of this sense that he's impressed by what the team have done and said to each other.
2: Yeah, I've loved Trent along this whole storyline because I think that that early episode when he sees Colin with his boyfriend, I think they very much tease how awful it would be to be outed. And actually him having the complete opposite of that really surprised me, him finding an ally in Trent and Trent actually being like, you know what, I don't, I don't care more about journalism in my career than I do about being decent and protecting someone's privacy. I just think it's been really nice. I've really, really loved, as Grace says, the dynamic between the two in that season, but also Trent's own little storyline within this one, I think has been really beautifully carved out.
0: And I'm genuinely excited about the book launch. I feel like Trent's book coming out is going to be like the epilogue. Like we're going to have the final moments, and then there's got to be a little epilogue of Trent's book because it has come the whole way season three, and we're constantly teased about his ideas. He's constantly writing things down, so it's just ever present, isn't it, in the season that he's writing this book?
1: Yeah, it'll be Trent doing a book reading in the pub for May and the fans, and we'll get a Trent monologue, and then there'll be a montage of all the different characters wherever they are in the world.
0: That is an amazing shout, but her full name is Maybe.
1: <laughs> that was, I think, one of the funniest lines in episode 10 <laughs> for me. There weren't too many laugh out loud moments in episode 10, but that was one of them. Let's just finish Isaac and Colin then. So we get this final scene with them at the end playing FIFA, which is where Ted Lasso originated from. So I listened to a, an interview with Jason Sudeikis was on the Smartless podcast. Correct, he's from the future, just popping in here. Although Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and Sean Hughes do talk a lot about Jason Sudeikis and Saturday Night Live on the Smartless podcast, the interview that I was referring to with Jason Sudeikis is from the That Peter Crouch podcast. Uh, and he was basically explaining that the Dutch comedy club for beard and Ted, uh, Brendan and Jason were performing in together. Jason bought uh, a PlayStation and FIFA so that they all had something to do. And that's where the idea of Ted Lasso came from.
0: Amazing. Love that origin story.
1: But Isaac's asking all these stupid questions really to Colin, isn't he?
0: Yeah, I loved these questions. Is top and bottom sex positions or sleep arrangements? Colin's like, well, sex is unless there's bunk beds involved.
2: This is one of my favourite lines of this episode, it was so good.
0: And then, who's the fittest guy on the team? And he's like, you'll never guess, he's like, it's a lumber catch, (laughs) yes, it was so great, and you can, you can totally imagine, like, a, a long guy friendship, one of them coming out as gay, and the other one wanting to ask questions, right, like, and wanting to understand a little bit more, and so, it was just so great, it was so lovely,
2: I had a lot of time for what do you do in the showers, keep my head down and think about global warming.
1: (laughs) Great stuff. Let's cycle back then to Roy and his press conference then, because as you rightly said, Izzy, that kind of conversation with Isaac is what helps him see that he can do this press release, and, and he's actually really fucking good at it.
2: I'm so glad Keely was proved right. And this is the thing, Keely's always had this belief in Roy, but it's not misplaced belief. Like, she really does know his potential and see his potential i would say if you get time go back watch this scene again and watch um juno temple's face throughout the entire scene and it is oh my god i cried just like incredible acting in the background there
1: it's the names that he gives to the journalists so you've got five o'clock shadowhead new trent and goblin king (laughs)
0: we don't get to we we didn't get to see Goblin King did we but I'm hoping there'll be a throwback to that in the next two episodes and just a guy's gonna stand up or a woman and we will be like ah it's Goblin King (laughs) I'm
1: imagining someone with big hair
0: maybe in leather well there
2: is there is a journalist a female journalist who's got this really long blonde hair that's very sort of Bowie-esque and I'm wondering if that's
0: that's Goblin King very possibly But yeah, the way that he talks about, you know, we don't know what's going on in other people's lives. And uh, yeah, just the simplicity I I give him love was from someone like Roy was just so beautiful.
2: Yeah, because I think we would have expected a press conference like that from Ted. You know, we Mm. absolutely would have expected a kind of anecdote that was really poignant and then, you know, a really lovely sentiment. But it coming from Roy was just so much more powerful. And I, yeah, the story he told about the teammate kind of kicking off, and it's it sort of turning out that he'd lost uh, his wife had lost a baby. I thought it was just so sad, but so important and so vulnerable to share. And yeah, it was just a really, really beautiful scene.
1: And also dealing, you know, with with what we were talking about earlier about the the abuse that footballers get from from fans and pundits and stuff is that you know just a reminder that they're also people too. Really, really brilliant ending to that episode. We've missed one one key. Rebecca Roy moment when Rebecca comes down to the changing room and tells him to get his hairy ass into her office. He says, Every single one of you knows my ass isn't hairy, yet none of you spoke up and I will never forgive you.
2: I actually wrote that line down because so it was one of my favorites. Roy's had some, I mean Roy always has some great lines, but this season has had some brilliant ones. And yeah, that was a favorite this episode. And also just the the fact they keep getting the whistle joke in, through yells of whistle. And that was happening at the start of this episode. Just great.
1: Was there anything else in episode nine, then, that we want to cover?
2: Well, I feel like it's quite important in this episode, in in setting up episode 10, is that Keely's not heard from Jack. So there's a little uh, little chat where she says, you know how you should never double text, and then shows Rebecca her phone, and Rebecca goes, oh, that's so much blue. But as she says to Ted, she's not heartbroken, she's just
0: heartbent. Mm, so nice. And also we get some really nice, like, like you say, it you know, felt like, there was these two episodes were a little bit like part one and part two. You know, a lot of the growth happened over the two episodes. We got a lovely little bits of Nate and Jade as well that I really liked. And even though I found the first bit of their relationship, I was like, not sure. Now I'm, I'm all in. I think it's lovely.
2: I absolutely loved Jade meeting Rupert. Was a highlight, <laughs> highlight for me, and especially the line, "It's worthwhile to meet you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> he seemed wealthy, but also <laughs> nice, like. <laughs>
2: and this is this is a bit of a weird one right because we don't fully know the story that that happens between these two episodes I mean I found the storyline with Rupert in episode nine really creepy where he's kind of meets Jade and is maybe like slightly hitting on her being quite smarmy and when that doesn't work he's clearly trying to sabotage the relationship and sort of bring Nate over to the dark side and yeah they have this boy's night out and when it becomes very obvious that it's Rupert and Nate and a couple of Glamorous models, Nate leaves and goes to Jade's house instead. But then by episode 10, Nate is suddenly not working for West Ham anymore. And it's sort of left to us to fill in the the blanks there of what's happened.
1: Yeah, not just Nate, but Miss Cakes too.
2: <laughs> Placed by Miss Bread.
1: <laughs> I hope we're going to see Miss Cakes again.
2: Yeah, she's been a great character. But it is it is really interesting because there was some really weird power play going on in episode 9. And I was convinced the episode was going to spiral to Rupert hitting on Jade and Nate freaking out and maybe not having the best reaction to it, not siding with his girlfriend. And I'm really glad it didn't go in that direction, actually, because I think that would have been quite predictable. But yeah, just some really gross power play from Rupert and really interesting evolution of that character from episode nine, where he's really trying to pull all the strings. to Episode 10, where we almost get a little bit of a sense that he's... So he's just kind of as lost as as Nate, really.
1: Yeah, and um, before getting to Nate, I just want to say that I think for Rupert, it's a case of you can't have your miss cakes and go to a private room with with two glamorous models.
0: No, absolutely not. You can't. But yeah, I think the Rupert stuff. I found he's such a good villain, and them trying to give him like this softer element to him of his child and all that but then when I was like why why are we learning this I don't care go away Rupert but then I think what Ted says at the start of episode 10 he says I like all humans contain multitudes am I right and I thought that maybe set up the episode for Rupert for us
2: I agree I think the Rupert kind of journey Rupert in episode 9 feels very different to Rupert in episode 10, but I would say they're very much a congruent journey and two sides of the same coin. And I think what's really interesting and what really struck me about episode 10 is I was like, Rupert is what could have happened to Nate, essentially. That's someone who is not treated well, grown up, kind of believing they're not worth very much, and has really sort of seized power as a means of, of making themselves feel big and has just had a lifetime of making shitty decisions at the expense of other people. And Nate has sort of chooses a different path at the end of episode nine. And I think it's quite interesting that it's the first time we see Rupert almost have a little bit of regret. It does feel like the stuff with Rebecca in episode 10 isn't just power play. It's sort of him remembering what actual love and being respected, and you know, by someone else feels like, and
0: slightly regretting his own decisions. And I, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, I got the sense that he realised that Rebecca is really the only one that truly knows him. Yeah, completely. They had
1: to soften Rupert a little bit for there to be any chance of us believing that at the end of that scene in episode 10 that Rebecca might go back to him. I didn't buy it for a a second that she would ever have done that. Thankfully, she didn't, but I think that was kind of one of the reasons they tried to make him a little bit more human.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if he's he's just a completely one-dimensional villain, there's no real reason to believe that they were in love in the first place. You know, a lot of, a lot of the whole storyline of Ted Lasso doesn't make a lot of sense. And actually, it was great seeing a bit of vulnerability and being like, this man is very charming. He's kind of got everything he has ever wanted, but at what cost, really? No one really knows who he is as a person. And I do think there's a really interesting sort of dynamic where he's almost leading Nate down a dark path and Nate stops and goes, actually,
0: I'm not sure I want this. Yeah. Yeah, Rupert's only 99% arsehole. <laughs>
1: Let's talk about Rupert and Rebecca then in episode 10 and that whole Edwin Akufo storyline. Edwin Akufo is back in town, and this time, rather than an African football team that he's bought, he wants to buy all of the best football teams and put them in a Super League where they will all earn incredible amounts of money. And I don't know how you, much you know about this, but this has been a, a something that was touted maybe a year ago and that there was going to be a European Super League And there was about half a dozen English clubs, Spanish clubs, Italian clubs, all threatening to break away from their domestic football leagues and join this Super League. And the main thing would be that it would be a closed shop. There'd be no promotion and relegation. Largely due to fan backlash, the whole thing was scrapped. So that's the inspiration behind this storyline.
0: Yeah, a couple of friends definitely went to some protests outside Arsenal, which I enjoyed. But yeah, I, I I had some sense of it, but... I think Rebecca did a great job at summing it all up for us.
1: So I didn't need to do any football-splaining then. <laughs> <laughs> do
2: you know what was great? As someone who does not really watch or follow football, I loved this speech. I was just like, yes, Rebecca. I wanted to give her a big round of applause. So, you know, great job. Great writing there. But she really did articulate very well why this is a bad idea.
1: Yeah. And it's again, it's that sense of her, the build-up to this is all about her being, is she just, There as as the token woman in this boardroom, and they are all these hideous old boys who are the sorts of people who run football clubs, unfortunately. We get that scene with her looking at herself in the mirror and seeing her her young self and doing the the kind of lion pose. And then Keely tells her that they were all little boys once. So she imagines them all as as little boys and then is able to, to unleash
2: I adored that. It actually made me quite emotional how much I just loved that scene. I just thought it was so clever, her looking around the room and seeing this bunch of little boys and then just launching into this incredible monologue. What a way to take up space. I loved it.
0: And the the sort of lion pose, the lion roaring, which with Hannah Waddingham's facial features is just pure joy. I feel like she's mentioned that in the past that she did that. Did that come up in previous series or am I completely imagining it? I think it has come up before.
2: And there's also obviously the brilliant bit in season one, maybe like one of the very early episodes, um, maybe like episode two, where Keely does the, would you rather be a lion or a panda? And she very adamantly is like, a lion, obviously you'd want to be a lion. So I feel like that's a really nice little three line there.
0: Speaking of lions, uh, if you can hear a jingling bell, that's my cat. Uh, He just recently went on a killing spree with birds. So now he's got the bell on his collar. How embarrassing. (laughs)
1: There was a little bit of comedy with uh, the Russian football owner not being able to get out the door.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love that. No, you have to pull it. No, it's a it. No, you need to pull.
0: No, need to pull it. It went on for so long. It was so
1: good. Um, I only wrote down the, the start of Rebecca's speech, but I think she says, well, maybe not the start. She says at one point, just because we own these teams doesn't mean they belong to us. But what makes it all all the better is that we're watching this whilst hearing Nate playing the violin. And then it's cut through with the pictures of the squad watching the match between Mexico and Canada. And Jamie Tart wearing the number 24 for Sam Obasanya, who's not been picked for Nigeria on the international break.
2: Yeah, Akufa is just obsessed with Sam. And so he's like, I'm going to buy a Nigerian restaurant up the road from you. I'm going to make sure you never get onto the Nigerian team. Like, it's just... He's a weird, weird guy. But yeah, loved Jamie's nod to Sam and also loved Van Damme and Danny Rojas playing on opposites. Uh, Played for Mexico and Canada respectively and Danny Rojas just going slightly feral.
0: (laughs) I know, because he's such a a smiley, joyful man all the time. So for him to go quite menacing was just so good. And obviously the crisp crunching moment. (laughs) Sunglasses on. Oh, I loved it. So good.
1: I wrote down Darth Rojas. (laughs) He also had the moment with the socks in episode nine, where he talked about pairing up dirty socks. Just because they're dirty doesn't mean they don't deserve to have a friend.
0: Classic Danny. I mean, we're all friends with Rashad. (laughs) I I just love the low-key bullying of Rashad.
2: And it comes back in the hairy ass moment, doesn't it? Where Roy has his little speech and then Isaac says, he's right, we're all cowards. She was talking about Rashad.
1: <laughs> so talking about Edwin Akufo, do you remember his his previous appearance and why he's so anti-Sam time? Yeah,
2: He wanted Sam to join a sort of um, elite football club that he was setting up. Is that right? There was like a kind of Nigerian club he wanted to set up and he wanted to get Sam to join. And Sam yeah. turned down the offer.
1: He was a team in Morocco and he wanted all the best African <laughs> players. To be in that team, and, and Sam said he had more, more still to do in Richmond, so turned him down. But yeah, I had, I had to look it up to remember exactly why why he was so upset with Sam.
0: Yeah, unhealthily so. Uh,
1: let's go back to
0: I don't know where to go back to. Why don't we celebrate Uncle Day? I love this. Also, as an auntie, I do think there's an injustice that there is not Auntie and Uncle Days. I agree. <laughs>
1: The best thing about this was that Phoebe was back. I mean, ultimately, my number one favourite character in the whole show. Not seen for a a long, long time.
2: Not been enough Phoebe this
0: season. I love Phoebe. I mean, she's business savvy, right? All she has to do is follow footballers around and she'd be a millionaire. Although, I just want to give a shout out to the quality of her tie-dyeing. Amazing. I tried tie-dyeing in early lockdown and it did not come out looking like that.
2: It's great. And uh, I love, I mean, I am really happy that we meet Roy's sister, the new character. so that was great. and really enjoyed her inviting Jamie Tart for the reason that he's your best friend. You talk about him all the time.
0: <laughs> also, great casting for the sister but exactly the same eyebrows as Roy. It was amazing. But yeah Jamie Tart walking in and clearly, Not, I wouldn't say he was flirting with Roy's sister, but just, just the initial, he has, he just turned the charm offensive up by 25%. And Roy, Roy's absolute outrage.
1: (laughs) He says, I will cut your eyes out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's great. And it's that
2: scene.
1: But Jamie's bought Roy an Uncle Day gift, and it's his England kit from the 2014 World Cup. But he's changed the E in his surname to a U. And Roy just
0: is like, I love it.
2: Oh, yeah phoebe gets a quid out of him he says i didn't even say anything and she says yeah but you made me think it
0: i love as well how how what audiences watching it would come to that joke at different times like someone would come to it immediately someone would come to it with phoebe and it's just such a lovely like drawn out payoff it was great
1: it was a lovely uh peaky blinders moment right when roy wearing his red orange and yellow tie-dye t-shirt comes into the Football stadium, and we get the red right hand music and just everyone's reactions to him wearing this shirt a mixture of horror, confusion, and hilarity, I think.
2: Yeah, I love the slight slow mo feel of people just looking round in absolute shock.
1: And Jason Sudeikis does a perfect triple take when he sees him.
2: (laughs) But I loved his reaction to getting this shirt, which was just a really, really long pause and then thank you. (laughs) Really forcing out.
1: By the end of the episode, he seems to have embraced the tie dye, right? He's got a different tie dye shirt on. I wondered whether he swapped it with the coach driver or whether he just got another one.
0: (laughs) Is that the coach driver who was like going to do some ayahuasca while they were waiting in Amsterdam (laughs) or something like that? That was so good. We get
1: this little moment with him flirting with Phoebe's school teacher, and she says, uh, You seem lighter and less stuck, and I don't mind cleaning up a mess. And this is the final thing that makes him realise that he's created the mess and needs to go and clean it up himself.
0: Yeah, also, I, I don't know about, I don't mind cleaning up a mess, How whether that's great flirting. I mean, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, well, this is red flags on both our parts. She says it
1: herself, doesn't she? Smooth move, fuckwitch.
0: Fuckwitch. And then she's like, come on, children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's great. I really like
2: Phoebe's teacher. And I also love the fact he didn't know her first name. She's like, you can call me by my first name. He just looks blank. She's like, you don't know what it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He had a lot of stuff going on at the time. And then what he has going on afterwards is writing an apology note to Keely fucking Jones.
0: Now, what did we think about this? I mean, the joke about her never being
2: able to read his writing, I thought was such a great throwback. Where, yeah, he's leaving the letter. She comes, opens it in front of him, which is always mortifying anyway. But just the, yeah, no, I still can't read your writing and having him read it was great. And I particularly enjoyed the, yours Roy Kent, XOXO.
0: <laughs> You're the oh only one, I well, I didn't want to
2: assume.
0: Roy's got such a soft centre, that XOXO is just a, <laughs> a sign of that. I thought it was really lovely, but I don't know, I kind of feel like it was a bit soon. I might have liked it maybe, maybe just to draw out one more episode. I feel like Keeley obviously is on this journey of self-discovery. And I really don't think Roy has worked out what he's angry about. And I think if that letter was the lightning that Keeley was looking for, I'm gonna be annoyed.
2: Agreed. I feel like they've brought it in here because there's another twist, to this story before the end. It just feels too soon. I think you're right. I mean, I'm hoping, because I am at heart a Keely and Roy fan. I'm hoping that it's not that they're going to, in the next episode, realise actually it's it's run its course. And, you know, they're going to have a very like amicable and adult breakup as opposed to the one they've had previously. I feel like that might be what
0: happens. I'm hoping not. I was sort of hoping for like an episode of them trying to date again. Keely just very quickly forgave or very quickly understood. And I just feel like Keely's done so much growth in this series and really kind of discovering new parts to herself. And it just felt very, I don't know. But then the only thing that did save it for me is Keeley's, wouldn't say self-awareness. She was talking about Rebecca at the end. But when she says, God, could you imagine if you'd gone back to the floppy cock, you'd have to be at the bottom of your emotional barrel. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's slightly saving it because at least the writers are aware that we might feel like this.
1: I think much to Damien's disappointment, they might be setting up another Jamie Tart triangle for the last two episodes. But I don't know. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping that she would end up with none of them, but be happier.
2: Mm-hmm. I still think that might be what might happen because it it just feels weird to me that they brought this in now. But then I want you know, there's loads of loads of ways this could go. It could be that Jack comes back and we have mm-hmm. you know we have the sort of repercussions of that because I feel like that's sort of always been tied up very quickly. Yeah, it, it feels like not quite the end of the story, so I'll be surprised if this is them tying it all neatly up.
1: Yeah, or Keely and Rebecca discovering they only really need each other.
0: Please. Love that. Girl talk forever.
1: Keely's storyline was mirroring Nate's in a lot of this episode, I felt. There are a lot of moments where we got short scene of Keely. I mean, the one of her in her office as her office is being shut down. We haven't really talked about this, have we? That Jack's pulled the funding and her office is being packed up. You see the tape over the company name, but there's that one scene where she's getting the lift and the lift door's open and she doesn't get in and then they just close again. Those short scenes were intercut with Nate's scenes of him he's depressed and he had press outside his house it seems like he's left rather than been sacked but he breaks into his parents house in the middle of the night so he can escape from the press and is just lying in bed and being brought trays of food
2: yeah there was a really lovely mirroring of this and that actually both have sort of hit a rock bottom and I really loved Keely's chat with May in the pub where she says what's the opposite of you know when you have the Midas touch and everything turns to gold what's the opposite of that the Midas shits
1: Yes, uh, once you make it to the top of the mountain, what's left for you but lightning was maybe's advice. <laughs> and shit helps things grow. Mm-hmm. What do we think about the whole Keeley-Barbara stuff?
0: Just want more of it. It's just so lovely. I'm hoping for these next two episodes, the final two, I think, right? That yes. we will have more Keely and Barbara time. It's their relationship, the way it's changed and kind of through the series and how they've kind of come to a place of understanding with each other and mutual respect, I think. Which is really lovely. And I mainly just want to see more of Barbara's clothes that tell the truth.
2: <laughs> oh my God. I mean, points to Katie Wicks. This, this oh God, Barbara's just such a great character. And I find her funnier and funnier in every episode. But yeah, loved the clothes that tell the truth. And the whole Snow Globe thing has been brilliant. But the, you know, Keely getting her a snow globe, which is incredibly sweet. And then her saying, I do actually have to buy it myself for it to count. <laughs> And then wanting reimbursement when she comes back into the KJPR fold is great. I said in the last episode that I really wanted Barbara to have some kind of dirt on Jack. Because obviously she was the only one who wasn't sort of excited and congratulating them when she and Jack got together. And I think, again, the show was maybe trying to red herring us with it being her sort of being disapproving or a bit homophobic. But I, I was like, I actually think she's seen this happen before. So I kind of was hoping for a bit of a reveal of that. And it did feel like there were some moments where she almost wanted to say something about Jack and didn't. Obviously, she does resign and decides to side with Keely instead. So who knows what will come out? But it just it feels like there's more of a story there that I want to want to see.
1: Yeah, I definitely felt there was unspoken stuff happening in those scenes. But I loved all of the, the receipt stuff. You know, once a chief finance officer, always a chief finance officer.
0: She gives Keely the money for it because uh, she says, I need to buy it and then... Gives that actually it was 60 quid. She's like, oh, I paid a bit too much there. <laughs> <laughs> like, She's brilliant. And I, yeah, like Izzy, I think I want to see more. I want a bit more of that. I think there's more to be found there. And I can't, I'm really looking forward to that in the next two episodes.
1: We also got a little drop of the name Shandy. Do we think we're gonna see Shandy again?
0: We might see
2: Shandy again, but I don't think it'll be as an employee.
1: No, maybe a rival.
0: Shandy just carrying a tiny goat. Or was it a lamb? It was a lamb.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the goats in yellow jackets. We're recording that one tomorrow. (laughs) Do we want to talk any more about Nate? I mean, he's a very good violinist. Oh, He he confronts his dad, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, and I thought that was a really, really powerful scene, actually. I feel like that's been building for a while, hasn't it? Because so much of Nate's, the chip on Nate's shoulder has always been his parents not really approving of him or not, not really being proud of what he's doing. I thought that bit where his dad goes, I didn't know how to parent a genius was just gorgeous because actually he is you know he is he's a brilliant tactician he is you know he's got something really really special he's got that kind of talent he has isn't something that Ted has or isn't something that Roy has and while his, (laughs) while he might not have uh, gone on the best journey into coaching and while his people skills might you know be something he's still developing and still learning his sort of raw brilliance is there and it's always been there
1: yeah I mean that thing of not knowing how to parent a genius I know I know my mum struggled with that. Um, (laughs) My brother's very clever.
0: (laughs) That was a little Leslie-style joke there. It was. That was a real Higgins joke.
1: (laughs) Speaking of jokes, I've got to give a quick shout out to Chris Powell, the commentator, for some of his lines. The colour red tops off at about 800 centigrade. A more accurate description would be yellow hot. And Van Damme's been a commanding presence, just like in the movie Time Cop, where he does the splits twice. Finally... Seagulls are wretched creatures who steal your car keys right off your beach towel.
2: <laughs> so good. Again, this comes back to my thing that everyone gets good lines in the show. Last thing I wanted to say about Nate is I absolutely loved the apology to Will at the end of this. Because I think the scene that's that's kind of genuinely upset me most in the whole of Ted Lasso is that episode where he corners Will and basically berates him in season two, for calling him a wonder kid. It's so upsetting. I remember being like really... Really upset by it when I first saw it, and they're like, Oh my god, what's happening? So it really felt important that that was the first bridge he tried to mend.
1: Agreed, and it's he's done all the work for Will that he's cleaned the dressing room for him and left this note with a little sprig of lavender on it.
2: He is crafty, mate, he is very crafty, but it's it's going to happen in order, you know, like he he sort of wronged these people and he's sort of going through the motions of making all those things right and ted obviously is the biggest one that i think you know we'll see in episode 12 damien had a little theory about that earlier on the podcast about how that scene would play out so excited about that which is that he and ted would do you know go for the handshake there'd be a hug instead
1: that's cute we haven't really talked about ted very much i don't think i mean he's he's kind of a side character in these two episodes really he had his little folk song that he sang to keely which I didn't write down. And he has a conversation with Trent about the winning streak where he says the only way he could be happier would be if if his arm feet were covered in barbecue sauce, which was just a little bit of a a weird, weird line.
2: He also has the very, uh, he would be the most annoying parent to have a parent-teacher conference, but Henry's teacher was apparently loving it, loving all his corny dad jokes.
0: You'll be thrilled. I did write his little jaunty song down and it went a little something like this. I'm heart bent in my apartment because all you left was your fart (laughs) sent.
1: it's so much funnier when you do it
0: It
2: (laughs) I also love the fact he gives he gives Keeley 40 quid because he he comes in with biscuits for her but he hasn't actually had time to make the biscuits didn't know she was going to be there so she opens it and there's two 20 pound notes
0: I mean, I'd take 40 quid over those dry biscuits. Yeah, I think
2: Rebecca got shortchanged, to be honest with you.
1: She needed that 40 quid, didn't she, to give to Barbara?
2: Oh, my God, you're right. You knew what she needed. I mean, it was 60 quid, but, you know, little else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was the difference, wasn't it? She gave her 20 quid at first, and she said, i oh, just it was 60 quid. Oh. It the it's the other way round. Barbara gives it to her. Doesn't work at all, does it?
0: That's oh, so neat. Yeah. such a good theory. That literally doesn't work at all.
1: No, the opposite. She's got loads of money now, Keely. Loads of cash.
0: Well, we were willing it to work.
2: I mean, you say that at the end of this episode, obviously we get some some tying up of some big threads. So firstly, there's Rebecca and Rupert. Rupert tries to kiss Rebecca. She says no, very emphatically, and leaves. And we sort of, this, this whole storyline this season, which I know is like slightly annoyed some of us about her really wanting Richmond to win because she really wants to beat Rupert that was a really nice close of that after sort of several episodes where actually she doesn't want them to win because she wants to beat Rupert anymore. She wants them to win because she wants them to win. I thought that was really glorious. And then the other big, big sort of summing up that happens is that Rebecca gives Keely the funding for the PR firm. So it's not going to go under because Jack's called her funding. Rebecca's now investing in it.
1: So we've got two episodes left, as we mentioned earlier. I think we, we've already sort of talked about Trent's book. Uh, we talked about maybe characters like Shandy. I wonder whether we'll see Z- Zava again. Damien's convinced Zava will make a return. I'd also quite like to see Sassy back for an episode, maybe to help Ted with a key decision. But I think the big thing is the is the prophecy, right? You mentioned Right on top of this, Izzy, the, Rebecca's prophecy. Can you remember what any of the rest of it was?
2: So most of it's happened. There was a green matchbook. There was the shite in Nining armour. There was her falling upside down and falling into water. And obviously there's the thing about being a mother, so we don't know don't know yet where that's going to come up. But there was the thing about uh, lightning does come up in the prophecy. I can't remember the exact wording. And I immediately was like, this has got to link back to what Roy said in season two about you deserve to feel like me, Struck by fucking lightning. I feel like something's going to come in. So I think we might see the return of Mr. Amsterdam guy. I think that's a possibility. Or there'll be a kind of interesting twist where she does end up alone, but in a really sort of a way that makes sense with the with the prophecy and the way it's been told so far.
0: Yeah, there was that little flirt with Sam, wasn't there, in episode 10, where there was those little mini punches which kind of kept that just simmering along. But I mean, look, like you, Izzy, I'd really like Rebecca to board her Dutch barge again. And that's every innuendo intended.
2: So I also think Jack might make a return. There's something with that storyline that feels like not quite done yet. I think she might come in for one last villainous thing. Who knows? But I did think that was really interesting is when Keely did actually get a text from Jack that said, I know it's so fucked. I'm so sorry. The board, you know, the board went ahead. I couldn't do anything. So she's very much what she done, what she did in the earlier episode and sort of blamed it on other people in the company that she's had no say, which we know isn't really what's happened.
0: And fundamentally, I mean, really, it's called Ted Lasso. What do we think is going to happen to Ted? Is he going to stick around? Is he going to leave and go back to his family? I think that's the two, That those are the things, right?
1: Yeah, I think he's almost certainly going to finish this season on some sort of a high and decide that that's enough. He's, he's ready to go. And maybe it is, you know, maybe Nate leaving West Ham is paving the way for him taking over at Richmond once. You know, he's mending his fences with Will. Maybe he needs to mend his fence with... Beard. clearly he needs to mend a fence with beard because it's throwing axes at pictures of him
0: <laughs> oh I'd
2: forgotten that bit
0: 17 axes that is going to be heavy for her 17 axes said
2: are they all in the country with you and he's like oh yeah I couldn't be in a different country to any of them
1: <laughs> so that's where I think Nate's going
2: yeah and I think Ted will vacate the coach position and hand over to Nate it's what I've always said I think will happen I like that I'll buy that
1: Grand. Well, if you want to let us know what you'd like to see in the final two episodes of Ted Lasso, you can do that on the social medias. We are at pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email pod at gmail.com and we will pick up your suggestions or thoughts there. Please do uh, leave us a rating and review. Really great response to these Ted Lasso episodes so far. So thank you very much. To everyone who's listened, and we look forward to bringing you the final podcast covering episodes 11 and 12 of the final season of Ted Lasso. Any favourite lines you want to leave us on?
2: I mean, I've really got to give points. I know I've said it before, but I'm sick of Roy being Roy, so it's time for Rebecca to be Rebecca.
1: I want to give a little shout out to Higgins' jazz jam band, the directors of Beeb Operations.
0: Oh, so good. And I just have to, this is actually just reminded of my favourite back and forth of the two episodes, which was when Ted is talking about the, um, so you say it shows up once a month and it never skips a month, only if you're pregnant. Well, shucks, I've got to check out this wine delivery service. Sounds like a real corker. Just want to flag. Oh damn it. I was gonna do that.
1: You do it because we spoke over each other.
0: No, you do it.
1: Royally. Uh, I can't do it now. <laughs> <laughs> we fucked it.
0: We fucked it. Move on. Adam, I think you're on a delay because you were your uh, your laugh was very late then and I just thought I'd meant absolute clanger. Um
1: what are they called? Uh oh, it's the Jason Bateman and um podcast. That's called... Uh...
0: That's Wait, getting... Wait the, there are other podcasts?
1: <laughs> you can't have your Miss Cakes and... <laughs> I can't finish it. <laughs> can't...
0: He says, um, I like... I like... Oh, <clears throat> beep